If you're the only one in your book club who wants to read books that will change your life, you need a new book club. And we think you found it. I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. And can we be the first to say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. Well, we are still having strange conversations here at the Bible Book Club. Maybe not strange, but stranger conversations. They're going to get strange today, actually. Conversations about strangers, angels, actually. So last week we did have a stranger conversation. That was part one. Abraham offered the three strangers just radical hospitality while they were dining. And Abraham received some good news. He learns that it is finally promise time, the promise of a son that will happen this year. Today, the stranger conversations continue with bad news. Don't you love how that Bible does it to us? Up, We're up and down all the time. The bad news is that Lot is in trouble again. Unfortunately, remember, Lot chose to live in Sodom, which is a, was a place of such depravity that its citizens are going to be severely judged. Yes, we are heading to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God knows that Abraham loves Lot like a son, and he also knows that this news is going to hurt Abraham. And remember that Abraham has loved several surrogate sons over the years. Lot, his nephew, may have been the first, whom he brought with him out of Ur, followed by his servant, Eliezer, and then Ishmael. So what do we know about Sodom? Well, back in chapter 10, we learned, remember, that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham had sons named Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. These are important guys in our larger Old Testament history story. Now, Cush's people become the people of Ethiopia, kind of south of Egypt. Egypt's people become the people of Egypt in northeastern Africa. Put's people become the people of Libya in northern Africa. And Canaan's people, the Canaanites, you're going to hear that a lot as we continue through the Old Testament. They settled above Africa, east of the Mediterranean, in the Promised Land. And remember, Ham and Canaan were the ones who somehow dishonored Noah when he was drunk. It had something to do with Noah's nakedness, and Canaan was cursed by Noah. Canaan's people become the Philistines, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and more. So if those names are familiar with, to you, just know as you progress through the Old Testament and they start battling uh, to claim that promised land, these people are violent warriors that they have to uproot. And so Israel's always fighting them. The most prominent, we know, uh, descendant of Canaan was Nimrod, the founder of Babel and Babel. Babylon. And that's important because remember, they're going to exile the Israelites out of the promised land. All of these above sons tribes will become problematic and enemies for the Israelites in the future. But especially, like I said, those Canaanites. In this chapter, it is the descendants of Canaan who have settled in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that sin of shaming or taking advantage of others sexually, which we don't know what he did to Noah, but we know it had to do with naked. That then seems to have continued in these descendants. So this next stranger conversation that we're going to read is between God and Abraham. 
it is a conversation to remember. And actually, it is one of, to me, one of those really, really sweet conversations where we get an inside glimpse of God because everyone has experienced heartbreak and everyone who's experienced heartbreak at some time or another, like questions God about it. Like, why God? Or is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? What's going to happen next? Especially like if you've ever had a sick child or a a sick spouse or something, a sick parent, you know, you you walk through that and you question. And that's okay. It's It's okay okay. to ask God questions and to wrestle with God. This next conversation shows us that it is okay. Okay. We're going to learn that first, that God cares. And second, that it's okay to approach him with questions. It's okay to to not understand and not to to be not peaceful about understanding and and to seek out that peace from him. So this is conversation number two. um, And we start in, in verse 16. So just to refresh everybody's memory, they've been entertaining these angels and the angels, they made a big feast and they've had like a fun night and they've been hanging out. All right. Yes. Verse 16. And there were three of them. Yes. But we're going to go down to one for just a little while. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walking along with them to see them on their way. All right. I, I want to point out just this. That Wait a God- minute. I'm sorry. I read that wrong. Okay. Walked along with them. Let me do it again. Sorry. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. Adam, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. So they've just finished the feast and they get up because it's time to go. And Abraham being the wonderful host that he is and not wanting to miss a second of conversation with the Lord and two angels, he walks with them. And I want us to watch as we walk through this next part that God's work is a contrast constantly. Remember in Stranger Conversation seen one last week, in verse two, Abraham looked up and saw three men of God. And Abraham received good news, the news of the forthcoming promised child. Contrasted to this scene, verse 16, they looked down towards Sodom, the world, and Abraham receives bad news, the news of forthcoming judgment of Sodom. Then remember in scene one, God asked the where question to jolt Abraham into understanding that God knew what had just happened to Sarah and that the promise was to be fulfilled. Contrasted to scene two here, God is going to let Abraham ask the questions until he understands why the judgment of Sodom is justified and that Lot may have to suffer his choice to live there. So we went from a scene of promise and hope and great joy, a child's going to be born, to bad news, death, destruction, look down at what's happening here in the world. The hope of heaven and the promise contrasted to the fall and the sin of man and judgment. And here's just one thing that I want to say about judgment. Because if you're listening to this and you're feeling like God is a judgmental God, he's not. This is a story that just illustrates the reason that we needed Jesus. Right. And this sweet conversation shows you that it's not a harsh God who does this. So carry on. Verse 17. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. 
so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. This is such a father-child kind of play to me because God, before he even tells him the bad news, he affirms Abraham. In this scene, God is treating Abraham like that beloved son who's just become a man. He affirms him about his favor and his future. He assures Abraham that his fate will not be the same as this bad news he's about to give about Lot because he knows that Abraham's going to do what is right and just. It's like when your son doesn't make the team for the first time, you sit down and you tell him all the gifts he has and all the great things God's going to do in the future outside this sport. But then you have to break it to him. Now you didn't make the team, but don't worry. It doesn't mean anything. It just means God's redirecting. (laughs) It just think of God this way because it's really sweet. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now, you know, God already knew. <laughs> he sees everything. But he's he's explaining to Abraham. God didn't have to explain himself, but he does it out of concern for Abraham. Abraham has this tender heart and God sees his heart. He knows his attitude. Just as he saw that Sarah didn't have a good attitude last week, he sees that Abraham does. This won't be the first sorrow Abraham faces as a leader. Then next, God patiently lets Abraham process with questions because he cares that Abraham cares. He chose this man, this man with a compassionate heart to be the father of his people. So watch how he lets Abraham shift his thinking because you know Abraham is in his, in his head going, no, 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 not Sodom. My nephew lives there. No, 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 no. Don't do anything to Sodom. Not where my precious lot is. And so God has to bring Abraham to an understanding and he's going to do it. Verse 22. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The first thing I want to point out is that Abraham approached and asked, and that's something we have to remember, you know, to just sit there and sulk about our situation and be angry at God is, is not the, the, it's, it's not the way we're supposed to be clearly. I mean, that's, that's like comparing Jonah. Remember Jonah sulked about Nineveh. We'll get to that one day, that story. He just sulked and got angry and bitter. And Abraham doesn't do that here. He approaches and the word in Hebrew means to draw near. He draws near. You can run like Jonah did and try to hide yourself you know, in a whale and jump into the sea or whatever it is to get away from God, or you can draw near. And that this means as if in holy conversation, he decides that despite this bad news, he's going to trust and come closer to God. Okay, God, I don't want to understand this because it's awful to me and my heart aches, but I'm going to draw near in the hopes 
that you will show me. And this is the first example of intercession or intercessory prayer. That's where, you know, someone's sick or something's happened and you can intercede knowing that God may not answer your prayers the way you want, but if you draw near to him, he will give you that peace and understanding. Abraham is concerned for the lives of these people, hoping that if he approaches to God, maybe some will be spared or maybe he will understand. But whatever way, it won't come between he and his relationship with God. And that's the important thing. When when tough things happen to us, if we take that bitterness route, it can come between us and God. And we have to be vulnerable. And, and that's what we see Abraham doing. He's being, he's drawing near to God with vulnerability. Uh, I want to, I want to argue with you, God, but I'm going to do it with an open heart and you may change my mind. So is the real life application of that just the minute that something happens, we just need to turn to God and just start saying, God, what's going on here? Asking him, just having a conversation with him, getting into your word and reading and just listening to what he's there to tell you. And not spiraling down to the future and the the travesty of it, but giving God the time to change our hearts, prepare our hearts. Um, Sometimes we just get peace about it, not really ever understanding, but we do have peace that God's will is greater than our will. And somehow I would say that tapestry he's weaving that we can't, we're only looking at the ugly backside where the knots are all tied off. The front side is something beautiful and whatever God is doing in our life is hard and awful as it is to us, as difficult as as it is to understand, there is a purpose for it that we just cannot see. Which I will say sometimes when I'm in one of those situations, I'm such a doer that I'm going, okay, wait, Mm -hmm. let me figure this out. Let me try to fix this and let me, I'm a problem solver and I'm going to go, well, I could do it this way and that way and that way. And then sometimes I'll get, you know, two hours later and I'll be like, wait a minute, what I should have done is what Job does immediately when he hears that his whole entire house has been burned down, his livestock are dead and his family is in trouble. He immediately hits his knees and starts to pray. And that's why I love there's something at at our church that we go to in Tampa and it's pray first. Mm -hmm. And we have these little um, bracelets and they help us remember that we have to stop and pray first first before we start doing all of that problem solving. Yeah, or our, our head just starts in the mapping out solutions yeah. that may spiral us out. So I love that that's what Abraham does immediately. Mm-hmm. Verse 26, the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Well, that's not good enough for Abraham. So now he's going to ask a second time. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 (laughs) there, he said, I will not destroy it. But Abraham's not feeling the peace yet. So he's going to ask a third time. Once again, he spoke to them. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Abraham then asks a fourth time, worried in his head, I'm sure. (laughs) Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Here goes Abraham on the fifth time. He's probably like, yeah, I kind of heard some things too about what's going down there in Sodom. (laughs) What if? (laughs) Verse 31, Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. 
And then we have a sixth time. Verse 32. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Abraham drew near with a lot of fear and whittles down this number in these six questions to the point that he accepted in God's affirmation that if there were a certain number of people, he would not do it. But he finally accepts that God would spare the righteous if there were any, period. Because when you get down to 10, you're basically down to Lot's family, his wife, his daughters, his son-in-laws. And that was probably as low as Abraham was willing to go without being, without starting to grieve in that moment. When Abraham starts with 50, I'm sure he was thinking, well, golly, surely my nephew Lot, whom I've raised in my home and have taught all these years, has influenced at least 50 people, 50 to become righteous, at least 50. And when God answers, if... It was like this hint to Abraham that, well, if there are 50, you know, like in other words, there's not 50. And that's why Abraham kind of spirals down and you see that God is literally conforming him to his will. He's setting the picture straight for Abraham. This is not something I came out to do because a few people were messing around down there. There's really nobody, Abraham. It's kind of bad. And so you've got to understand that and trust me that I'm doing what's right. So observation one to remember is it's okay to ask God for the desire of your heart, whether it's to heal someone or for something, it's okay. But observation two to remember is that you got, you have to in that be open to allow God to give your heart the understanding in the process to conform you to his will. It is okay to go back and forth and back and forth over time until you and God are aligned. I think it's important to remember to, to not to stop to struggle. Never stop struggling to align your will to God's. And it is a little bit of a struggle because remember, we're living in the fall where we have these desires and this will to do one thing and God's trying to pull us back. And so there is going to be a tension there. We just have to remember to be open to letting God work. We have to invite him in to work in our heart. And that's what Abraham's doing by asking is, okay, I don't like that you're going to do this, but you're, he starts out like just affirming God. You're such a great God. You're such a good God. Surely you won't do this if there's 50 people. And then when he hears God go, if he's like, oh man, darn, it's, it's worse than I thought. Okay. Tell me Lord, how bad is it? <laughs> and he gets down to 10. Well, and I like what you said about listening to what God is telling you. And I think that it's okay if you ask him and you don't hear yet, just stay where you are. Yeah. You can ask again and then you can ask again until you do hear because you will hear if you're seeking him, mm -hmm. you will hear. And if you're drawing near to him, he will talk to you. And the point is, we will find that peace. Now, I have to say, I have to tell you from my own life, there there have been seasons in my life, and the hardest one was probably um, when my my youngest biological son was like three. So I had just three kids at that time. And I had had a pacemaker since I was 17. I had a cardiac arrest at 17. I had a pacemaker for 17 years. I got had a new doctor because we were living in a new place, Tampa. For me, it was new. I had moved there right after college and, and had three kids. And all of a sudden, my pacemaker stopped. And I was with this new doctor who I 
I'd never had any like major crisis with. So while he wasn't brand new to me because I had lived in Tampa for a few years, this is the first time we had anything major. So my pacemaker, that pacemaker I'd had for over a decade and it stopped. And so when we, my husband and I went to the doctor and he told us, you you know, it's not working. That's why you're having problems. He said, you really don't need a pacemaker, which we were kind of shocked because I'd had one since I was 17. And I went through a year of struggling with my health. Like there was no tomorrow. Like there were days I couldn't even get out of bed because my heart, it was so low and I, I have all these complications. Long story short is I felt like God had turned his face for me. Like I would wake up in the morning and think, okay, I'm just going to eat salt. I'm going to, uh, you know, go slow. I'm going to stand up slow. I'm going to be calm. Like I was trying to control my heart every day just to take care of my family, mm-hmm. just to take care of my kids. Yeah, these young kids. I, I had young kids and, and I kept like trying so hard and asking God, what do I need to do? And he says, I don't, this doctor says, I don't need a pacemaker. And I really feel like there was this season where I felt like even though I was trying to draw near to God, he had turned his face for me. And we go through seasons like that. You're not always going to feel in the bubble because I have had seasons, tough times where I felt like God carried me through it. Like I just didn't feel the pain of it like I should have because God's peace was there. I call it being in the bubble. That's my name. It's when you go through a trial and you feel in the bubble like God's just carrying you through. I have peace about it. It's terrible. This is awful, but I have peace about it. In that season, I didn't have peace about it. And there's both. You're going to have both. But the point is you have to keep drawing near. And there were so many things I learned in that year. I learned how to receive help from others. I learned because I I was I'm a do it person. I don't like people to have to help me. I learned how to be humble, um, tons of things. And so just know sometimes you're in the bubble. Sometimes you're not, but you have to draw near no matter what's going on. In this case, you know, God met Abraham in seconds. He had kind of, uh, even though he didn't like the answers, I got to trust you, God, because you see how bad it is. So, you know, draw near in either case. All right, moving on to scene three. Strangers approach. This is our example of radical hostility. We had radical hospitality last week with Abraham serving. This whole next stranger scene does get really strange. And and not just because there's strangers in it, the angels, just because we look at it and go, well, that was really weird. The whole kind of thing. So starting in chapter 19, verse one, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and he bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. All right. So that was a lot there that I would like to get into. First, I want to talk about this is a hostile justification for destruction. So right now, remember the reason these two angels left Abraham and the Lord. Remember, Abraham and the Lord are having a conversation and the two angels go down to Sodom and they're going to see how bad is it? And they're going to probably report back to God. It's time. So we don't know. We don't hear that part of it. But how hostile was this situation of sexual abuse? So here's what the commentaries kind of talk about this. 
First, it says all the men of the city, young and old. Now that's pretty extreme. All the men of the city, but that's what that's what the verse said. All the men of the city, young and old, gathered around the house. This indicates that it is a widespread participation. Now remember, these cities aren't as big as our cities. I don't know what the population of this city was, but pretty much the word went out. There were new guys in town and everybody gathered for the party. This is not the first time that they had probably done this because they all knew to gather for the party. And by party, I mean this type of activity. They heard there's people in town. Let's take advantage of them. This must have been something that happened often. Then in the next verse, we're going to see Lot calls what they are about to do wicked. So he knows what they're going to do. This has happened before. This is what goes on in the city. And Lot knew this all the time. This is not a new thing. He's not confused. Nobody's confused about what's going on here. Well, I took a um, a Bible study one time from Andy Stanley, who is a pastor at a mega church in Atlanta. in Atlanta, and he we studied this piece of scripture, and he said that there was a historical significance here in that this was not a let us have sex with him out of sexual desire. This was some kind of a custom that they had adopted in Sodom that they were going to embarrass any strangers that came to their town because they didn't like strangers and they didn't want them there. Oh, that's cool. so it was more about embarrassing them. Yeah, mm -hmm. not not cool they were doing it, but it was more about- Driving them out. (laughs) Right, to understand, and it made me understand this whole story in a different way. It's not about sex. It's about brutality Mm -hmm. of the way we treat people because we want them to know don't ever come to this town Mm -hmm. again. And so that's the reason that Lot too was like, whoa, 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 Um, just come to my house. I'm going to hide you. Yes. Because I don't I know what they're about to do to you. And they that's why they probably also knew what was going on. And they said, no, 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 we'll just stay in the square here because then everybody would see them and yes. know that they were there. It definitely was a common practice. And that is why Lot says, no, 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 you can't spend the night in the square. Come with me. And again, we're going to compare Lot to Abraham. Uh, he probably recognized them as celestial beings or just different or whatever. But it definitely is a common practice in this town. A lot of the commentaries talk about the different reasons for why they may have done this. Was this uh, a sexual act? Again, these are the descendants of Canaan. Canaan had participated in something sexual with Noah. So had it become, like you said, a rite, a ritual? We do know that um, Dinah in a few chapters, like 30 something, is going to be raped. It was a cultural practice to rape back then. There weren't laws protecting against that. So whether it was uh, heterosexual or homosexual rape, it was wrong and Lot knew that. And it was something that people did. It was a brutal time, period. Uh, Some commentaries say it was a pride thing. This was a pride thing that they did. Maybe like you said, you know, um, kind of scaring people off and this is our town and get out. We don't know exactly. But when we do compare Lot to Abraham, if you guys are following us on Instagram or somewhere else, you'll see that we do graphics for every chapter. And our chapter that we talked about when Lot leaves Abraham and he he looks and he sees the plains and he sees Sodom and it's a city and he chooses that, we have a picture of two paths that separate. Abraham goes one way and Lot goes the other. And we're seeing this contrasted in their life. They chose different paths. So for example, it's evening, whereas it was morning with Abraham. Now it's evening with Lot because it was morning with Abraham. He had time to prepare this huge feast, this leisurely meal. 
And but with Lot, we have this bread baked without yeast and destruction comes at dawn, which smacks a little bit of Moses and the Passover meal. But that's not happened yet. So the fact that they baked the bread without yeast really just means it was hasty. It was quick that they did it. If they had to do it really fast. And there is this destruction coming just like with Passover in the morning. Now, Lot compared to Abraham, unlike Abraham, Lot has has left his nomadic life and is a city dweller. So one of them greets at the tent and one is sitting at the gate of the city. Now, like Abraham, Lot is a man in charge. And we know that because he is sitting at the gate, which meant he was a member of the ruling council. That's where people met people who had problems. The councilman sat at the city gate. Unlike Abraham, he is not the man in charge. So in Abraham's community, he's top dog and he calls the shots and therefore he has more control over the people and what they believe and what they do. His influence um, is supreme, not Lot. Lot is just one of the ruling elders and we're going to see he has assimilated into another culture. That culture was there before him. It's a little harder to change an existing culture than for Abraham. He created his own and his is the rule. If you don't agree with his faith or his rule, he could ask you to leave. Lot is trying to become a member of this culture, Sodom. And while he may have tried to influence, he didn't get very far. Like Abraham, as the men approach, Lot sees them and goes to meet them. So he clearly kind of identified them as somebody. He also shows them great deference and bows low, calling them lords. He may have recognized them as angels. We don't know. He, like Abraham, offers hospitality, although it was much more urgent and a little bit out of safety, whereas Abraham's was more like, come, sit, let's chat. Let me glean from you what's going on and and talk to you. Uh, So again, just this comparison of these two paths and how they racked. I also want to compare this radical hospitality compared to the radical hostility. A visitor to Abraham's community experienced radical hospitality, whereas a visitor to Lot's community experienced radical hostility. Why would Lot have ever stayed there? I don't know. He could have so easily picked up his family and left Sodom long ago. Why in our sin do we sometimes become the frog in the pot and we just stay? Because clearly, Lot, in what he has already done that we read and what he's going to do, knew that he was living in a problem place. Well, didn't you already say before that he didn't really enjoy that nomadic life? He didn't enjoy wandering around in tents the way that Abraham was living and he really wanted to be in the city. So it could have just been a little bit about the comforts of the city versus not wanting to be in a place where he certainly was influenced less, but he had a harder life. And we're going to see that desire for the comforts has infiltrated his whole family. And so we have to be careful of that. And I and I think, you know, as family, as leaders of our families, if you're parents out there, you got to think about that too. Is the situation I have put my kids in too much for them? We have to choose to do the hard things. Yes, not we have because to choose. We choose to do the hard things because it's the right thing for our family, not exactly. because it's... Exactly. All right. I mentioned last week in Hebrews 13 too, I started by talking about this verse. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Here's my question. I thought about this for me. Are you hostile or are you hospitable when a stranger approaches? Most of us would say, oh no, I'm not hostile. I'm super friendly. But is our response just less hostile than the men of Sodom? And sometimes I think it's it's you really don't realize how 
inhospitable you're being. And it's subtle sometimes. It's not, you know, most of us know that you don't attack somebody for coming around. And But is the new girl who just started at your job, are you welcoming her in or are you still going to lunch without inviting her? Oh, totally. How do you how do you react when approached by, you know, you're getting out of the car with the groceries and that chatty, na- needy neighbor you have comes running, you know, comes over to the, the hedge to kind of talk and you're like, oh, I'm going to get inside. Is that hostile? Well, it's certainly not hospitable. What about that elderly person that's coming out of the store with their arm full of groceries and you know they're not going to make it to their car without spilling something. Are you hostile and just kind of blow by them and ignore them? Or are you hospitable and help them carry their groceries? What about the teen selling some high school f- fundraiser at your door to door, you know, do you answer or do you hide from the door? Cause you looked out the window and you know, they're selling something. You don't want to buy candy. Um, or what about that homeless person at the red light? You know, are you hostile? Pretend you're on your phone or pretend you don't see them. That's hostile. It's not as hostile, obviously cement of Sodom. It's still not hospitable. Uh, so just think about that. It made me think because we don't know if we're entertaining angels. Is that person coming up to us just, you know, maybe they're not a real angel, but maybe but maybe they are. who needs us. Yeah, I don't know. All right, we're moving on to scene four. I call this one irrational hospitality. Okay, so Lot's going to get hospitable, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Verse six, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them, but don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way. They replied, this fellow has come here as a foreigner and he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. So first, look, this fellow came here as a foreigner. So Lot's been living there a long time, but they still think of him as a foreigner. So you're right. This population may have a real problem with foreigners. But Lot's crazy, irrational hospitality reveals the attitude of his heart. Yeah, who in their right mind would just say, here, just take my daughters, oh, rape them? Especially because obviously he's been pre- protecting their virginity in this crazy town. I mean, it's obviously, Somehow. yeah, not a safe town. And yet they're still virgins. He irrationally offers his daughters. Did he, when I was thinking of this, I kept thinking, okay, so did Lot think less of his daughters than of the two men? Maybe he did know that they were God's angels. And he was thinking, I love the Lord more. I'm going to sacrifice my daughters. It still didn't seem like a good idea to me. Uh, you know, how is trading one sin for another any better? Right? And also to Lot must kind of have a God complex because if they're really angels and they wanted to, they could get themselves out of this situation. Yeah, Why exactly. does Lot think that he's the one? To- <laughs> yeah. Then I thought Lot selfishly, so this is interesting, did not put his own life on the line. He thought more of himself than his daughters. Like, obviously these guys come to your door. They want these foreign men. He's a foreign man in their mind, man in their mind. Mind. Why didn't he just offer himself instead of his daughters? I, 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 yeah, I was like, you are so selfish. Could he, then my other thought was, could he have gathered his household and fought? Could he have at least said, no, I'm going to die honorably fighting for these guys? No, he didn't do that either. Because uh, I would think fighting to die fighting would have been better than offering your daughters. I don't know. The last thing I thought was, you know, Lot did not have any influence or control over the town he presided over. Like none whatsoever. They think of him as a foreigner. They're beating down his door, even though he, he somehow won some political thing to 
be to sit at the gate. I don't know. He must not have had this word at the people. And and the crowd just didn't even want to be judged by him. Uh, he's just not doing well in this town. Why did he stay so long? I do think the last lesson I learned from this is that there is a subtle message here that God expects us to have an impact on the people around us because Lot has strayed away first from Abraham, then from God, and his influence was ineffective in the community. And we're going to find out in just a few verses, even with his own family. And do you want at the end of your life for it to be said of you, well done, good and faithful servant, or do you want to have this reputation that you were not hospitable? Mm -hmm. So the real question today is radical hospitality or radical hostility. Is there somebody in your life who maybe it wasn't overt, maybe it wasn't intended, but you can do a gut check and maybe you've been showing radical hostility to somebody that you really need to turn and show them hospitality. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.